As podcasters, we have a burning desire to create something unique, something that separates us from the other 2 million shows available to listeners. Side note, it might not really be 2 million shows. Pod News recently reported that it might be along the lines of 888,000. Still, that's a lot. What if I told you that the unique fingerprint on your show isn't always the content or the sound design? No, there are more ingredients than just that. Like your favorite home-cooked meal, preparation of the ingredients can add a flair that makes it yours. It's yours uniquely. Aside from getting hungry, what does this have to do with today's guest? Not only does Evo Terra, host of Podcast Pontifications, dawn of the title 40th podcast ever published, he's a master chef at preparing shows. I've invited him to share the rare secret ingredients to encourage us to cook up some of the tastiest podcast episodes we can produce. You're listening to The Audience Podcast, your home to stories and lessons for podcasters looking to take their show to the next level. For people just getting started with podcasting to brands and celebrities monetizing their audio experience, The Audience Podcast has it all. Never miss another show by subscribing at castos.com slash subscribe. That's castos.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to The Audience Podcast. As always, your host, Matt, today joined by special guest, Evo Terra. Evo, welcome to the program. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. I am going to put all the cards out there. I have only recently come across you. I'd say that within the last 60 to 75 days, you could probably check your email stats on when you saw Matt at Castos.com. Subscribe to your email <laughs> list. But I've just been consuming every word, every audio bite that you have put out. There's a Jack Nicholson gif of him smiling, nodding his head up and down that gets passed around the world. That's me every time I'm, re I'm like, yeah, this guy knows exactly what I'm thinking. And you put out a recent email titled, well, the subject was, will the race for podcasting's profit drive our dystopia? And I want to dive into some of that stuff today. But real quick, for folks who don't know who you are, who are you and what do you do? Yeah. So my name again, as you said, is Evo Terra. I have been podcasting like since the beginning of podcasting time. I had the 40th podcast ever. So that goes back a long, long, long ways. Uh, I wrote podcasting for dummies and have been involved in the space for a very long time. These days I do run a boutique podcast consultancy here in Phoenix, Arizona called Simpler Media. But what I'm most known for nowadays is podcast pontifications, the show slash website slash newsletter that I do four days a week, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that talks about the future of podcasting and ask questions that every working podcaster should be asking themselves, like the race towards this dystopian future, which I couldn't sleep one night because it just kept <laughs> in my head. Here it yeah. was. Yeah, we'll add that link to the show notes. So if you also want to lose some sleep, definitely check out this article and we're going to expand upon it today. But I'm interested in the cobbler's house here, the uh, or the cobbler's shoes. It's the painter's house that's never painted. It's the cobbler's shoes that are he never repaired. He has to live somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so. he's going to live somewhere. One of the things that's fascinating and I really appreciate and what you do is you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you live stream the pre-recording of your show filled with all the errors, the ums and ahs, and you're clearing your throat and you're getting this going and you record <laughs> and then I watch it. And then an hour later, it's in my inbox. Can you just give us that brief overview of, of that approach and, and what that means for you as a creator? Yes. So I don't recommend it. First and foremost, <laughs> this is, this is not the wisest way to, to do things, but 
when I started doing podcast pontifications, gosh, it's, I, I think I just today was episode 419 that I released. And uh, so it's, it's been a long time. When I first started doing it, you know, it's, it's not my first foray into podcasting, obviously. I started it as simply a live video show because I was trying to talk to people in the business space who might be thinking about podcasting, but certainly aren't consuming podcasts to learn about podcasting. That's that's how the whole thing began. But then that morphed into some more things. I got to more future thinking about it, you know, which is really where my head kind of goes to most of these days. And so I started doing some just regular monologue shows and they were just boring. They just weren't good. So I get turned on, if you will, or I turn on perhaps as a, as a less sexual way to say that uh, when I am on stage, when people are watching what I do. And so I have a little video camera in front of me whether one person or three people, and that's usually never more than that, one of the people are watching me live when I do this at seven o'clock in the morning, that really makes me better as opposed to just staring into the, the, the ether, if you will, or staring at a beige wall and trying to do it once again. So yeah, so I do that. And then I would love to get to an hour, but it's really closer about three hours later is when it actually shows up everywhere because I take the the finalized video and that's just the, and you've watched the show, so you know that I rant and ramble and just kind of get my throat clear for a minute or two. And then I do the show itself and then I, I cut just the show part out and that's what becomes the podcast episode. A little bit of editing, but uh, I also give it over to my production assistant. She's my, my audio, my video producer as well. And she makes the video look nice and neat. And then I spend the next two hours basically rewriting every single word that I said during the podcast into that newsletter, that email that gets sent out and that article that goes on my webpage. That's what takes most of the time because while all the things I said out loud were good when they were said out loud, they don't read that well. You know, we speak differently than we write. And I'm a writer, and I, it's important for me that my words read as smartly as I wanted them to say. And while I do make a full transcript available, it's just not as good uh, as the written word if you want to consume it that way. So that's why I do what I do. It takes about three and a half to four hours every single day to put out one 10-minute episode, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, we talk on this particular show a lot about because we get these questions all the time uh, here at Castos. There are new people, of course, because of 2020, COVID, lots of people getting into the podcast space. And everyone from the beginner to the person who has, has 100 episodes out there, how do I make my show better? My show is just me. <laughs> it's just me talking into a microphone. How do I make it better? And there's all kinds of arguments of, well, we could do music tracks. We could transition through different thought processes. You can cut in different sound bites from other shows or something. I would argue, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts, like this live stream into produced recording, it's a, a twist of your own, like this is my own show, like it's still me largely talking, there's no transition sounds, but this creation, this creative process is what makes my show unique. It doesn't always have to be about the audio track that you ship. Yeah, and I think that's an astute realization that most podcasters don't have. We think podcasting equals the MP3 file that I sent out via my RSS feed and how many downloads did I get yesterday, which is never, it's, it's not the way things work, right? We are creatures with multiple sensory inputs. Sometimes it's, we need to read, sometimes we need to watch, and sometimes we need to listen. And a lot of people want to dip in and out of all three of those things. So I figure, look, it's not really taking me any more time to do this. 
because the video that you see is the video that goes out, again, with maybe five or 10 minutes of extra stuff cut from it. I'm not spending hours in the studio. It's just me talking for seven to 10 minutes long, so I don't have to worry about jump cuts and all of the other things that make compelling video compelling video. And, and honestly, the least compelling aspect of my show, Podcast Pontifications, is the video, because it's just my talking head. Like this, you know, you, you've seen it. It's fun to watch it live sometimes, but I get a lot more people that read my words than ever watch my videos. So when I talk to people who say, ah, oh, I think I'm going to use video to really expand my podcast, I always remind them like, well, keep in mind though that video lies to you. You know, you can see what your YouTube view numbers are, but that means somebody watched one minute of your content. There's a rule I have called the Evo's uh, 90-10 rule of online video, and that is that 90% of your audience will have abandoned watching the show before 10% of the show has been sent down to them. And that's held up every single time that I've looked. If you're making really compelling video with lots of action sequence and various things like that, that's a whole new ballgame. But if it's just two people talking, and maybe you've got a one or a two camera setup, maybe even a three camera setup, and there's really nothing the video does other than a couple of head nods here and there, you're going to lose your audience. That's not what people tune into videos for. We want to watch. We want to watch the next Marvel. We don't want to right. watch anything yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good luck doing that with your Sony A6000 and uh -huh. a, a Rode microphone. One of the things that you mentioned recently, I don't know if it was, it wasn't from directly from this email. Oh no, it was the it was the email you sent out where you said most people listen, or excuse me, most people read what I'm putting out then listen and. So if you're somebody listening to the audience podcast right now, one of the biggest questions that I get all the time here is, how do I grow my audience? Again, it's not just about shipping the podcast file up to your Castos account. Maybe sometimes you write some words. Maybe you do a blog post with, with it. And you actually have the data in one of your, your more recent articles is, yeah, more people are, are reading my stuff than they are listening to it. But like you said, you're a writer at heart and then podcasting came second. Is that true? Actually, no, the other round, but, but it was very close. So my first real writing gig where I was paid to write was writing podcasting for dummies. So I kind of had to know about podcasting to do that, but that came in like a, a year after that. And I, I had some radio experience, but um, yeah, I was really trained how to be a writer by the, by the lovely people at, at Wiley's Publishing. So yeah, that, that was kind of surprising to me. And now, and here's the other weird thing, Matt, that your audience, the audience should appreciate this. My podcast is only of interest to podcasters. That's it. There is some general other information for content creators and marketers, but let's face it, it's called podcast pontifications. It is about <laughs> podcasting through and through. So my audience is almost 100% podcasters. Yet, yet more people read my words than listen to my words, which makes zero sense. Or maybe it does. Maybe it's just the reality that we are a multi-sensory creatures, as I mentioned previously, and we want things consumable in lots of different ways. So, so why not? Yeah. Before we get uh, dissecting the dystopian future, one thing, question that popped into mind, and I'm just curious on your thoughts on this, obviously, I don't trust other content creators who say they don't consume other content. Do you consume <laughs> other content? Yes. Uh, and, and if so, <laughs> what is it with that? I don't really have a question here, but as somebody who respects the craft so much, I'm curious of your answer. I mean, most notably, there are people like who are really in the media, like uh, like a Gary Vaynerchuk. We might know him from business and podcasting. I mean, that dude's schedule is probably what you know doesn't allow him to to consume other content. He's got no time. But I see so many other people on YouTube on podcasts who 
Like, yeah, I don't, I don't watch any content. Well, where do you drive inspiration from? <laughs> where does it come from? Just curious on your thoughts. I've heard that from other people. So when I got into podcasts originally, it was a, we, I was talking to authors primarily and the amazing number of people who say, oh, I, I don't read other people's work because I don't want it to, you know, influence my way of writing. It's like, have you not known that that's not how humanity works? We always build on everything. There's no such thing as an original idea. I mean, there's really not. We just do the things we do to, to bring forward with it. So I've always thought that was, was silly. Uh, that makes zero sense to me. If you are a superstar and you're famous for being, I don't know, Gary Vaynerchuk, then you probably get away with that. But you're not Gary Vaynerchuk, whoever's listening to this right now. And so you need to understand what other people are listening to. A long time ago, when I first got into some digital work back in the, the, the turn of the century, which sounds like it was a long time ago, and it was, I had a guy working with me and he brought up one point in time and he said that, you know, let's not forget that most people are on other people's websites a whole lot more than they're on ours. And so we need to know what the experience is like. This is before we even knew what user experience was or now customer experience, right? We need to understand what that CX is at other places. And I think podcasters need to understand what sort of listener experience, maybe LX, people are having on other shows. Because the reality is we're being judged by that person's understanding of everything else they listen to. And that's not just podcasting. That's audiobooks. That's professional content they're getting from other places. That's watching television. That's how we're being judged. So if we don't understand what else is going on in our sphere and outside of our sphere, we're just not paying attention and we're not going to delight our listeners. Let's get into this dystopian future. There are a few uh, bullet points I want to I want to pull out first uh, of how you introduce this model. Now, largely everyone listening to this podcast episode is a $20 a month podcast hosting customer here at Castos. And, and, and even if you're not at Castos, chances are that's what you're doing. Our friends over at Pod News have a visual graph of the, <laughs> of the flow of where people go from one podcast host to another. And Anchor is like this massive, huge blob of paint <laughs> of all these people <laughs> going to this free platform. And I have some thoughts behind that. But what we're getting at here is Maybe in this article illustrating, well, there'll be podcasting will just largely be free and then ad supported, which had me thinking like, okay, maybe like this YouTube model, right? Where it's, you upload your content and ads just play. And we all just sit back and like, where's the next button? Where's the skip button on this <laughs> ad? And then there's like the people who are true, like RSS fans, even though your recent email today, you didn't like RSS so much, but the people who are like, I just want a true RSS you know, 20 bucks a month and I don't want any ads touching this. Is this because that ads is just what's going to consume this technology? Like big industry is going to come in and just say ads, YouTube, they're doing it. Let's do it here too. So it's funny, you know, so podcasting predates YouTube, just for a quick history lesson there. And I remember the early days when YouTube was getting started, many of us were lamenting the fact that we decided to do this distributed model. You know, YouTube can get away with doing a whole lot because they're YouTube and they, for all points and purposes, bought everybody else or crushed them out of competition. There's a handful of stragglers hanging on Vimeo and some other specialty services, but it's all YouTube. That's never happening with podcasting, right? The, the genie's been out of the bottle for too long. I do not think, I mean, I suppose Spotify could come along and buy everyone, Castos included, you know, and then one big thing, but I'm not so sure that's really the way that things are going to go down. But I also think that 
advertising and podcasting, there's just there's just a big miss right now. It's very difficult to run ads at scale. My my background is running digital advertising agencies. That's what I've done before podcasting and then parallel to podcasting for a decade or so. So I understand what it takes and what businesses are looking for out of podcasting. And it's just way too much of a problem, right? We've we've been able to sell ads into podcasting since I think I started running my first ads in 2006. So it's a it's a long, long time, but it's never really grown to the scale it needs to grow. What predicated that article was the announcement that another hosting company was buying a big podcast sales platform and going to merge those two together for the first time offering the idea is offering programmatic easy drop ads into the show like the people at you know podcorn have been promising to do and like red circle does so where i went that was oh my goodness what if everyone does this what if every podcast hosting company winds up buying some ad platform they're going to get it together and then what if the cfo does the analysis and says hey we make more money per podcast if they run ads than we do from that $20 a month fan plan. So let's get rid of the $20 a month plan. Let's get everybody over here hosting for free with us. We can sell more ads, but they have to run ads is the whole deal. So yeah, I think there's still an untapped market. You know, 2021 should be the year we hit a billion dollars of ad revenue. Some people say we've already hit it, but I think it's it's deals like this that cause that to happen. And then it's the, well, now what does that mean? You know, what's the, what's the next step? What's the, what are the unintended consequences? And I love unintended consequences. So <laughs> what's that going to do to the industry played out to its, you know, logical absurdity? Yeah. Who loves a good conspiracy, who doesn't love a good conspiracy theory, especially around podcasting. One of the, as a creator, so I've been podcasting, personally podcasting for eight years. I've been on YouTube, roughly the same, primarily focused on a little piece of software called WordPress. And that's sort of my claim to fame in, in this space. And I always feel like the YouTube model and the ad model, the creator, the small creator always loses. It's the small creator that always loses, right? And in these deals with Spotify and Anchor, like one day you wake up and you're a fitness podcast and all of a sudden Pringles is your, you know, is the advertiser <laughs> on your podcast. And you're like, what is that doing here? Like, not only am I losing, I'm only getting five pennies for that Pringles ad. Is there any way for, and maybe this is where you're going into the business class podcast, we have members only podcasting where anyone can name any price and they get a private RSS feed. Which I know the other the other counter to that is, oh, a private RSS feed, it's not open. Well, yeah, but it's it's paid and people have access to it. First thoughts on on the small creators. How do small creators sort of rally up that they get value? That's gonna be a always a challenge, right? Because oftentimes get ignored. If not outright shafted, they certainly get ignored. <laughs> And they just don't have the same opportunities available to them. And it makes sense, right? I mean, I understand it from just a supply and demand perspective. It makes it, I get why it's happened. It's, is it unfair? Yeah. But you know, who said life was fair? That's not really right. the way things are supposed <laughs> right. to be. Like I, like I said in the article, I think most of the independents, most of the small people will be happy to take the ads. And I'm pretty sure that there will be some sort of a, brand safety model, much like the Google AdWords program, which you can put on your website and you can say, I don't want ads from these particular categories. So nothing still slipped through. I think that'll be somewhat accepting of that. 
But the other good news with that is right now, the small podcasters are really left out of the equation. They don't really have a chance to play because unless you're with a Red Circle or someone that's using a Podcorn or one of the other sites out there that that does do this, you don't really get a chance to make much money at all. So at least in my new crazy world, you know, if everything is monetizable, at least your content will be in the consideration for that $25 CPM. You only might make a dollar a month of profit, but you know, that's because you don't have that many downloads. So that's life. I've heard it go both ways. And you're obviously much more experienced at this than I am. But I've heard that even podcasts with uh, whatever, a thousand downloads a month could still perform really well if they went to a like a direct ad sales model where, hey, they find a brand that is perfectly aligned with this niche podcast to get that hyper-focused audience. But I guess that's the challenge is it's not just a network. That, it's no algorithm that's going to do that for you. You got to knock on somebody's door. That is all the hard work. You know, way back in the radio, back, back in the radio, but way back in the early days of podcasting, there was a show called Grape Radio. And it was a wine podcast. And I think, don't quote me on the numbers, but I think it had like 300 listeners. That was it. They were getting $5,000 a month for sponsorship because those 300 listeners were the owners of all the wineries in America. (laughs) So five grand is to advertise to them for an entire month and to get your message heard for them, you know, at least four times a month. That's worth five grand. You know, one sale is probably off for that. So yeah, it's completely dependent on what it is that you're actually doing. But if you just go for the... The mass marketing appeal, you know, crappy ads we're all exposed to every day on websites, you know, those are going to come into podcasting and they're going to be $15, $20 CPMs if we're lucky. Yeah. I know this topic has been beaten up pretty much, but the acquisition of the Joe Rogan streaming rights or however it's defined legally, <laughs> right? They didn't buy the show. They bought the rights. Did they buy the rights? Is it streaming rights? Whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a clear win, whether or not whether or not you agree with the content of the show and if you're a fan or not of Joe Rogan, do you see it as a win for the Hey, so the solo creator, somebody who starts from nothing and then sells their show for a hundred million bucks or whatever the number was, like, is it still a win for creators that way? I think that would be a win for creators. I mean, I'm not so sure that Joe Rogan did what you said. I mean, Joe Rogan just didn't come from nowhere. He, Fear well, Factor true. and yep. UFC yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah. You know, it, it's great to be a celebrity, right? But there are other ex- uh, people that we could talk about who have similar experiences who were kind of self-made in podcasting. I'll use Jordan Harbinger as an example of someone, right? He didn't get picked up by Spotify, but I know Jordan. He's doing quite well building up the show that he's done. So yes, solo creators can absolutely do it. And, and not just, you know, basic interviews style stuff, right? There's a huge amount of going on right now with solo creation in the fiction podcasting space with what Lauren Shippen has been doing and and others who are really elevating that craft. That to me is what's most compelling about podcasting is the ability for someone who doesn't really have an outlet for whatever it is they want to do. There's just no other option for them. Radio's not right. Print's not right. TV's not right. Even a web series isn't right. YouTube videos aren't right. How can they grab hold of this thing called podcasting and turn it into something that people love? And if enough people flock to it and say, yeah, that's really compelling and amazing, then they've got to go and concern business pretty quickly on their hands, which is a pretty interesting space. Let's mash up one of your other pontifications, uh, Clubhouse and Social Audio. I'm not a huge fan And maybe it's because I'm old school and not as old school as you in the podcasting world, but I like content that is evergreen, that can be archived, that can be searched. I don't want my stuff to disappear (laughs) into the ether, uh, including a clubhouse stage uh, or room, whatever they call it. And like things like Instagram stories, 
not a huge fan of wasting my time designing a, a cool sticker and then just having it vaporize in 24 hours. Like if I'm going to put that effort in, I wanted to live on a site that I can repurpose. What are your thoughts around social audio and that impact of, of podcasting? Yeah, we're, we're seeing every single platform. I heard the other day that LinkedIn is coming out with a Clubhouse clone. So, okay, it's clearly a thing. I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, up until about two weeks ago, I was doing a lot on on Clubhouse specifically. I kind of backed off because I just kind of felt like I wasn't doing any me time. <laughs> so what can go? Oh, that new thing. Bang. So I, I killed that. Uh, I'll probably get back to it eventually. But that and Twitter Spaces uh, is growing now. We might have soon uh, Fireside by Mark Cuban is coming on. There, there are all of these things that are you know, just keep coming out of the woodwork. And, and like you, well, let me just say it this way. Social audio is not going to replace podcasting. It's just simply not. The, the majority of people who like listening to podcasts, especially those that like listening to long form content or multi-episode things, they can go back to again and again. The on-demand style of podcasting is here to stay. We're not, that's not threatening it. However, it is now a new medium. It threatens radio, I think. I think it also threatens the supply of new podcasters coming in. I mean, you saw what happened a couple of years ago, I guess more like five years ago, when Anchor came on the stage, and suddenly, here's an extremely easy way to get stuff available on the internet. Boom, Anchor blew up. And you could listen to most of Anchor shows, and it sure sounded like there was an easy way to get a podcast on the internet. This is even easier. You don't have to do anything other than simply fire up your application and start talking. So I think a lot of people who were attracted to podcasting because they thought they were going to have the next radio show and, and wound up they did not, are going to go to a clubhouse, a Twitter spaces, or whatever the next thing is, and that's where they'll wind up doing their show. And that's okay. Right? They're going to try and reinvent radio. Uh, which which is fine, which I think just leaves more room for the podcasters to uh, to play in. It's funny, like I think about like humanity and like broadcasting audio and you think back a hundred years or whenever the, I don't have a history book in front of me, but whenever the first radio tower was made and like man looked up at that and they were like, ah, in order to broadcast, they need that big tower. And then whatever, a few decades after that, the ham radios that got even smaller and then radio stations and then podcasting. And you keep losing all of the need for equipment and centralization as years goes on. And then pot and then clubhouse and social audio. Now you need no microphones. In fact, microphones don't even work with it. <laughs> you just pick up your phone and start talking it's like i mean what's next like you just think and the words just magically broadcast onto twitter i don't know what's next it's that neural hat that elon musk is making <laughs> that digs into you just pull your thoughts yeah. right out of it sure yeah. why not we'll see that yeah raise your hand and be the first in line for that uh <laughs> for that bad boy when the creator goes to monetize well actually let's take a step back uh, podcasting uh 2.0 the rss feed you rallied or ranted around that today. I didn't get a chance to to read the whole thing, but I saw it come through. And I think it was, did somebody say you were, I saw it on Twitter, like, oh, just more Evo rants. What was yeah, the phrase? pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I've ranted about the RSS feed for a decade now. So <laughs> what, what around that technology do you think can be enhanced or should be enhanced? I think I know podcasting 2.0 now, there's like artwork that'll change with chapters, shipping transcripts. Is there anything else in there that you think would make it a, a, a premium get? Well, I'm, I'm very happy to see that the podcastindex.org is is taken off and the podcasting 2.0 initiative is actually being adopted now by by a lot of hosting providers right it's quite common now and if 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 it dies after just getting finally a transcript tag on there it's to me that's that's a much better thing but still we're limited we've I've, we've been limited with rss feed for the longest time right rss feed came out of blogging 
That's where it came from. Dave Weiner figured out the 2.0 thing to stick the enclosure tag on it so we could have audio files attached to it. But with the exception of maybe, you know, Apple slash iTunes putting some new tags for us in there so that we can now have seasons and episode numbers, it's been a relatively static thing. And speaking of a static thing, it's a flat file. It's a flat <laughs> file that is generated with text. It's very good at what it does, getting my show listed on the 27 different directories that meaningful, right? And then they can and disseminate that. But we've asked RSS to do so much more. We're building websites based off of an RSS feed, and that's just not enough information. There's not enough info. I mean, one person makes a podcast. That's fine if you're me and you made a podcast, but I'm making podcasts for a little company called SAP right now. The list of credits will last five minutes at the end of an episode, right? There's no way to stick that in the author tag, right? They're just, it's just not designed for it. To me, I see RSS feeds the way I feel about ID3 tags, another technology that we borrowed from somewhere else. It's designed for music. What's the name of my album? Album? That makes zero <laughs> sense, but we have to deal with it. So I don't, I've predicted the death of RSS for the longest time, and if so far it hasn't really happened. Uh, but, you know, with, with new tools like JSON and other API direct integrations, I think there's a lot more that we can do with it. I don't know that the, I think that the spirit of the RSS will live along forever, and it'll probably be RSS for the longest time. But at some point in time, I think we need to be willing to recognize that there's more we can do. Then we can just extend things on our own without requiring, you know, a big body of people to get together and declare a brand new namespace if we do it a little a little differently. So I like what RSS gives us, freedom, open web, all of that. But it's not the only way we can get there. Yeah, I mean, we at, here at Castles, we're always talking about, you know, we're just sort of sitting back and we have plans for maybe like a, a Castles specific app if you're a Castles customer or something like that where these things can be, you know, pulled in. But again, we... We're at the same boat. Like we 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 like RSS for what it does and, and for the freedoms and for the flexibilities. And we certainly don't want to take that away from our creators and just lock them into, you know, we don't want to do a Spotify where it's just like you have to have our app in order to do this. But I get it. Like I also get, man, if we had our own app, we could deliver transcripts as as the as the text is scroll as the audio is playing, the text is scrolling, and you can swipe through chapters a whole heck of a lot easier, but then you're stuck in this app. So it's not an easy it's not an easy thing. No, it's not. But luckily, it's not an either-or situation, right? Because we don't have to be the Luminary slash Spotify model, but we also don't have to be stuck with just one way to distribute things. I think we can be flexible. As we sort of wrap up here, uh, really drilling down into a tactic of yours, very interested to learn with uh, Apple sort of switching to the uh, no longer subscribe uh, to my uh, podcast, but follow my podcast. What are your What's your favorite way to, and maybe this could go from the way that you coach clients too, your favorite methods for call to actions, uh, for people to do something in a podcast, get on a newsletter, buy a premium membership, buy a product. Do you have a way that maybe you massage your own clients to, to make those types of requests, not just follow me on, on iTunes or leave me a review? <laughs> Is there anything else we can do? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's always a trick, right? And that's one of the limiting factors of podcasting is the, the call to action is said orally, but I can't shout out to the world. I mean, I guess I could with my that woman in the cylinder over there whose name rhymes with <laughs> Jellexa. Yeah. She didn't. Oh, dang, she did. She just turned it on. Um, I guess I could. <laughs> you know, but those don't work very well as, as part of the episode was, was for today. Yeah, it is it is so hard to get some sort of a, people to do some sort of call to action, you know, because there's a call to action that you say out loud, then there's a call to action you put inside of your in-app episode details, which I refuse to call show notes. Uh, th that's always hard. The one thing I try to get across to my clients is don't do too much. 
if you try and do too many things, you're going to lose people, right? So generally speaking, I tell my clients to do one single call to action. What is it you want them to do? Do you want them to sign up for a newsletter? Do you want to say, click this link? Do you, whatever the message is that you want to do. That's your primary call to action that you do. Just, just figure and make sure you understand what it is. Don't say things like, you know, below, you'll find these details. Below what? Below my feet as I'm standing <laughs> yes. here on the backside of my phone? I'm right. to think through. I'm doing dishes right now. Right. What does this mean? Right. That's, that's, really the, that's really the big problem, right? So pick a call to action and repeat that call to action because as you just said, Matt, people are doing the dishes right now. So I'm going to forget. I you know I've got sudsy hand syndrome, right? And even though theoretically this iPhone is supposed to be waterproof, I'm not putting sudsy hands on my iPhone. So we got to do the thing that old branded advertisers told us to do for the last hundred years. And that's repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. So we actually get it. So I tell them to do that. And, and the second thing I do, I learned from a friend of mine who runs the Sleep With Me podcast. So Drew said, he never underestimate the power of asking your guests, you're asking, excuse me, asking your audience to tell a friend about your show, do it for a year and see what happens just repeat it every single time to see what happens. And that's been a pretty good way to grow a podcast. Do all my clients do it? No, but I, you know, <laughs> give, I give them the advice and then I just up to them. Horse water drink syndrome right there. <laughs> sort of final question here. I had interviewed a couple of producers, podcast producers over the last couple of weeks, asking them as someone who helps other clients or your own clients make shows, is there a particular genre of podcast that you're just like, ah, oh, not another one of these. <laughs> is it something like true crime interview? Like, is there a genre you're just like, oh, I'll do it, but I don't want another one on the web. I think we need one more entrepreneur interviewing entrepreneur shows. Yes. We need more <laughs> of those. And by that, I'm being, I'm being very sarcastic. Interesting enough, true crime is dropping. Ah, is it? I didn't see that. Some of the things I've seen, I think we're kind of done with the bad news. So now it's becoming more the true crime that there's not a dead body involved. So they still still want we still want bad people, but we don't want them yeah. killing other people because we've had enough, you know, six hundred thousand people, you know, or million people, right? So that's that's a bad scene. So yeah, but no, personally, yeah, I I really despise doing the entrepreneur interviewing entrepreneurs. You know, it's you know, crush it, next version, fake it till you make it, all those sorts of platitudes which mean nothing, that don't really say anything new. It's the same entrepreneur asking the same questions over and over and over again. It's like, ugh kind of boring, kind of still, but hey, I also can't deny the fact that there's a huge audience for it, man. Never underestimate the people's desire for easy answers that they've heard a million times. That's why self-help books keep selling. Evo Terra Podcast Pontifications.com. If you're listening and you're saying, I gotta work on my podcast website. I, I why is my website not working? Check out Evo's. You just recently redid this website, right? I think I saw it in an email. It came out fantastic. If you're looking for a great site to model, don't 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 just copy paste it, but just look at it. <laughs> you know, look at the hero <laughs> images, look at how uh, Evo's put the call to actions for subscribing to the different platforms, uh, social proof reviews, quotes. It's fantastic. It's very well done. Uh, podcastpontifications.com. Evo, where else can folks find you to say thanks? Most of these days I hang out on Twitter. I'm at Evo Terra on the Twitterers, uh, but that's, that's it. There are podcast modifications and Twitter. I'll be around. Definitely check out his live stream and sort of that behind the scenes look at how he's producing his podcast. Uh, he'll go from three hours to one hour by the time we get this <laughs> episode out. Uh, it's the audience podcast, castos.com slash audience. And don't forget to register for our free podcast academy, academy.castos.com. That's academy.castos.com. Thanks for listening. 